2: You know guys it wouldn't be cardinals underground if it wasn't full disclosure so i'm just gonna let you guys know right off the bat that um you guys are basically the warm-up back here via zoom as we broadcast from home here paulie pandemic paulie podcast kyle Odegaard, darren urban uh, because right after this actually i'm gonna talk shop and talk a little football with carson palmer as i name drop here right off the top in cardinals underground so you know what We'll just, you know, get warmed up here and then boom, if you guys got any questions for the heavy hitter, Carson Palmer himself, uh, it'll be something you might see a little bit later down the line, Cardinals Media, maybe azcardinals.com or what have you. But uh, if anything comes up and, uh, you know, uh, there is a suggestion box and it is open right now, Darren or Kyle, you know, at your leisure.
0: Well, could you just tell him we said hi?
2: (laughs) You know, uh, I will. And, and, and don't expect, you might get a reaction or you might not. And and, and I, we're going to get into this. But if, if yours truly could give some free advice to young quarterbacks, call Carson Palmer on how to have a poker face. Was he not the master of the poker face when he was Cardinals quarterback for those five years? Didn't matter if they just had a 90-yard touchdown drive to win it. <laughs> or he threw a pick six, he came off the field and went to the bench with that same look on his face, and that is, hey, yeah, I'm here, I'm cool, I'm calm, I'm collected, I've been here, I've done this, I have no problems with this. Uh, next, let me know when, when we have the ball again. And, and it, to me, when I think of Carson Palmer, that's what I think of first and foremost, maybe because I was down on the sideline, and when everything's flying around, he's the guy that a time of war, he's like the guy you would follow. When, when when it really starts, when the bullets really start flying, the old cliche, Carson Palmer is that guy you would follow into the foxhole.
1: He's definitely got that California cool to him. And, and one image stands out to me is 2016 when Chandler Catanzaro misses the 19-yard field goal, a field goal that I probably would have made 50% of the time. I mean, it's the easiest chip shot in the history of NFL, and he misses it. And then Carson Palmer comes over and... And just gives him words of encouragement instead of going ballistic. I mean, he realized the game was still tied and there might be another chance. So I just feel like that embodied what Carson Palmer did on the sidelines is always just trying to keep his team in it and let his team know that even though you just messed up in a big way, I'm here for you.
2: I always figured that was a byproduct not only of his upbringing in the SoCal DNA but also his beginning in the NFL, the fact he suffered the season-ending knee injury right out of the gate, the fact he escaped from an organization that he wasn't on great terms with, so he had an appreciation for where he was at both in his career and the location and his employer and owner. Uh, I thought it was all a byproduct of that, perhaps, and and a lot of it is just Carson and his, his personality, which brings us a long segue, Darren, to New England, and you were down there while I was wrapping up the broadcast up in the booth. You were down near the field and or in the tunnel. You tell us, what exactly was it like as the Cardinals came off the field in New England after a gut-wrenching 20-17 to
0: loss? It was pretty much what you'd expect. It was, uh, there was some expletives flying. Um, I'm not 100% sure at that point if it was uh, because of the loss, because of the penalty call on Isaiah Simmons that really helped New England get into the field goal range they wanted to be in, whether it was, you know, Zane Gonzalez's missed field goal in the first place, all of the above, I don't know, but there was clearly some unhappy people. Um, and, and I understand that. And, uh, you know, they should be, it's, it's funny, Paul, this has been this has been a really interesting year in terms of the wins and losses. I mean, let's face it. There's, there was, there's been a couple of There have been there. There's been a couple in the Cardinals favor and, and one most certainly not, but most of their games have been incredibly tight and they've gone to the end. And uh, it, it shows you basically where the league is and how, how perilous you are in a lot of ways between the wins and the losses. I mean, um, you know, they won that first game and the sky was falling for the 49ers and the, the Cardinals had arrived as a, as a player in the NFC West, cause they beat the 49ers. And it was because they have one stop down near the red zone and you take it fast forward all the way here. You know, if Zane Gonzalez makes that field goal and then the Patriots don't do anything, we're complete, we're talking about this team in a completely different way than what we're going to be talking about. And uh, so many of their wins and their losses this year have been along those lines. And Um, you know, right now, I think this team is doing, to to be honest, this team is wins and losses. It's about where I thought it was going to be. I thought this team was an eight or a nine win team. Uh, I thought they were probably still a year away from being serious contenders. They got off to a better start than I expected. And, and so I'm not super surprised. I know there's a lot of frustration with some of this stuff, but, you know, I, I just did a story on the defense, Paul, and, you know, you talk about it being top 10, top 11, top 12 in a lot of these categories. That's better than I thought it was going to be. And yet we still on a weekly basis, I still my Twitter feed's still filled with fire Vance Joseph. And I'm like, I just don't know if if how some of this was seen compared to what realistically it might have been is quite lined up. Now, they got to win games like New England and they should be angry and yelling expletives coming out of that game. But. Um, I'm not sure that that, they're that far off from what I thought they were going to be record-wise anyways.
2: Yeah, there's two ways to look at this right now. And we could start Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And Kyle, we could say, hey, they have more wins than a year ago. They're right now in the playoff picture. Uh, They uh, have their own destiny in hand. They have some very winnable games straight ahead. Albeit their next opponent is a head coach they've yet to beat, but it's a home game. The other hand, they're a hail Murray away from a four-game losing streak. So it might be one way or the other, or it might just feel that way. What does your gut feel right now with six games to go? December football is here, Kyle.
1: I mean, overall, I'm still encouraged by the entire body of work. I mean, you're right. They're a game away from or a hail Mary away from a four game losing streak. They're a couple field goals going the other way away from three and one in their last four. So it's not like they've lost these games uh, decidedly by any means. And really, like Darren said, Carolina was the only game all season, which the Cardinals were not competitive. So I think that says a lot about this team. If you look at EPA per play, expected points added per play. The Cardinals, when you add up the defense and the offense, they're a top 10 team. And I, I do believe that's what they are, even though their record doesn't suggest it. I think they've underperformed a little bit compared to what where they should be with the caliber of the team. So I'm still encouraged. They're still In the playoff hunt they're the favorite to make the playoffs either as a seventh seed or higher so yeah they've lost some close games they've won some close games and darren's right the narrative of a team in the nfl is so controlled by wins and losses which are so controlled by fluke things happening when it's a three-point game or a seven-point game and i just feel like this team is still talented you've got a star quarterback there's a lot of really good things coming and if the cardinals get into the playoffs They're not a team that any of those high seeds would want to face. So I think they're certainly building it the right way. We'll see what kind of ceiling they have. I think making it to the playoffs would be a nice step. Like Darren said, they're probably not true Super Bowl contenders in my eyes because the passing game has not gotten to that level yet. Um, But overall, there's a lot of good things about this team despite this recent losing streak. Think about that. How ironical
2: is that as I make up a word? that the one thing right now that might be separating this Cardinals team from being all it can be and being elite is the passing game, which is what you figured was going to be the bread and butter of this team starting a year ago. So you look at this loss in New England, and Darren, we were there, and people asked me how, why, and it it really is a vexing loss. And and I said it right after the game, and it still sticks with me the most. You lost a game where the opposing quarterback – had a passer rating sub 24. The quarterback had a passer rating at halftime of 13. He went nine of 18 passing for 84 yards, no touchdown passes and two picks. And somehow the Cardinals lost that game. And I guess it's an illustration. It's just proof that there's three phases to the game. And although you excelled on defense, you most certainly didn't on special teams. And the offense was hit and miss much of the game. That's the only explanation I can provide People when they hit you up. And I know you get hit from all angles and on social media, Darren. So I don't know if you processed anything differently in the last 48 hours since we've returned from New England, but give me your biggest takeaways from that loss.
0: There was a couple of them. I mean, part of it I did think, and I know the Patriots aren't as good as they have been, but I I still think that the Belichick factor meant something in that game. I felt like he mucked that game up just enough. That got it to the point. I mean, one of the things that stuck with me that Cliff said, I can't remember if it was right after the game or on Monday, when he was talking about how many fewer possessions and plays they had. Now, part of that is because they didn't hold the ball. But, you know, Bill Belichick worked the game so that they had the ball less than they normally would. And, you know, as Kyle has made the point many times, one of the reasons this team has racked up statistics offensively is because they get more plays and they didn't get those plays. That's part of it um and and the the passing game you know you can get into Kyler running the ball and that being missing and I do think that's a a problem but the passing game is like what what exactly where did that go there there really haven't been any uh significant plays and it's not even necessarily like the Christian Kirk 80 yard bomb from Dallas or whatever it would be but um you know just 20 yard passes down the field, especially to Hopkins. I understand he's going to get a lot more attention these days as he continues to play at a high level, but they're just not getting any kind of significant gains. And I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if that's a Kyler thing, if that's a an offensive play design thing or whatever it is, but you, you, you're going to need to, to generate more. So you're not always faced with these third and fourth and ones and, having everybody gnash their teeth of okay, what player are they going to run and how are they going to do it and can they do it in these short yardage, which obviously has has been a hit and miss of late. I like the fact that Cliff continues to be aggressive in fourth-down situations, but uh, there's been a couple fourth-down situations he wasn't aggressive in, and then they end up missing the field goal, and then it ends up costing him.
2: And look, let's just get that out of the way right now. The end of the first half, I'll be honest with you, against that opponent, I'm taking the field goal. I'm taking the points. Uh, You got a quarterback you're going against with a 13 passer rating at halftime. They are struggling to score any points and move the football. I'm going for the field goal. I said it at the moment in the press box. I'll say it again. You're going against Mahomes. You're going against Russell Wilson. Okay, you got to go all out, and I'm going to try and stick it in the end zone right there. But that, the risk-reward on that, the opponent you're playing, and then how many Patriots talked after the game about how it gave them an emotional lift the rest of the game, and they scored 10 points in the second half and won the game, yeah, it's just, that's me, and I'm probably going to be on in the minority on this one in three, two, one.
0: I, yeah, I mean, I, in the moment, said go for it. I am still saying go for it. I would argue that if the Patriots are that poor offensively, that just gives you more reason to go for it there instead of just taking three points because you're not afraid that they're going to hurt you. Um, and I would still argue that if it wasn't for the special teams breakdowns in the second half, it'd be a moot point that that touchdown that missed point opportunity probably wouldn't have made a difference um I, I don't know I, I just I, here's what I have a problem with I have a problem with the idea that you're a professional football team and you can't get six inches and I don't care who you're playing I don't care if you're playing the 2000 Ravens if you can't get six inches in that point then then you you don't have much of a chance to do anything anyways
2: can I just say this though it's not six inches when you're in the shotgun. It's automatically four yards when you're in the shotgun at the very that's a
0: different, that's a different discussion
2: though. I'm just saying in this offense, the way it's designed and it, it's the degree of difficulty is higher on fourth and one fourth and half a foot, whatever it is because of where you're starting after the snap of the football. That's my only point, And I think that's proven out a few times during this season and it does give me pause at this point as we hit December.
1: I think if you look at their fourth down conversion rate, you'd be wrong because I think that they're good at it, even from shotgun. I mean, you have a mobile quarterback, you have a lot of different options. I, I think it was a no-brainer to go for that. I mean, six inches, even if it's beat from shotgun a little bit further to get a touchdown from that far. I mean, if you take a field goal there, you're up six points compared to 10. I think that's a humongous difference. And if they get that, they almost assuredly, not almost assuredly, but they're in a really good spot to win that game. So I think anytime you can be in a good spot to win a game by getting six inches on one play, you have to go for it.
0: Let me ask you this question though, Kyle, and, and obviously you and I are in the same uh, wavelength in terms of going forward. And I, I agree with the play call. I agree with everything, but I will say this in terms of what Paul said and in terms of their success, if you, I'd have to double check, but there are probably more instances than anyone would care to have over the past three, four games where they did have a third and short or fourth and short, and they didn't get that yardage. And the percentage does feel like it's gone down of late, Uh, whether it was um, the Miami game, I believe it was, where they, they failed on the Chase Edmonds run, whether it was this play, whether it was the third and two, Uh, right before Zane Gonzalez's field goal attempt that if they get that, then we're probably taking it all the way down to the end of the game before Zane tries his field goal. And the worst that happens is you get overtime. I do feel like whether it is something they've got to adjust going forward, I do feel like they've gotten a little bit stale in terms of how they're trying to get these yards in some ways. And and they do need to figure some stuff out. And I, I agree with Paul from the standpoint of not being able to have Kyler Murray sneak it from behind center, I think is a that is that is a hole in the, in the offense, in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah, but, and I, I know we talked about that recently. I think Chris Strebler and having him come into the game and have that sneak option, I think it's a good idea. And like we've talked about, analytically, the sneak is a very successful play, and it's something you should do in short yardage. So I agree that that should be in the playbook. But I also think – They've run a lot of zone reads where Kyler Murray's kept it and gotten one yard touchdowns. I mean, they've converted on a lot of third and fourth and ones. I understand recently it's been an issue, which is why we're talking about it, obviously. But I think it's it's random that it's clumped together right now and there have been some high profile misses in that situation. But I don't think it's a a across the board issue or anything where anybody's figured something out necessarily. I think it's been bad cluster luck for the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, it's all a big cluster luck. <laughs>
2: there is a correlation, though. I think before the game, there was a stat that Cam Newton had the best percentage of any ball carrier in the NFL on third and two or less.
0: Yeah, and, and if a, six, if you, you got, got Cam Newton fifty pounds
2: exactly, yeah. exactly. So that, that's that's part of my argument here is that if you have Cam Newton, absolutely. Now, Chris Strebler, that, that's a great question. In fact, note to self: I need to ask the head coach that question this week on his TV show. We saw Streveller the first two games, correct? Yep. First two, and we haven't seen him since. Why not? Is that a valid question? I think it is at this point. Go ahead. Uh, your hand is up, Darren. Go ahead.
0: Uh, does anybody wonder a little bit about, and and I, I I can't say for sure, but the the one of the plays Strevler was in early in the season, and they had to take the, I feel like they had to take a timeout, and Kyler looked irritated. I, I I wonder a little bit about Kyler going to Cliff and saying, "Please do not take me out in Fourth and Short anymore. That don't do that to me." I will say that I you know I want Kyler Murray on the field, but you know the I, I would love to know other than it's just not in our playbook right now. I would love to know down and dirty why they wouldn't do quarterback sneaks is it is it something kyler doesn't like that much or is it something cliff doesn't like that much and 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 trying to figure out something whether it's a jumbo package in the backfield where you put lucky photo as a fullback as a lead blocker or something i don't care at least give give some kind of um something else to look at other than you know the shotgun or pistol and then handing it off four yards deep i can understand that
2: and on his radio interview on Monday a 98.7 FM Arizona Sports, Cliff Kingsbury was asked that question in a roundabout way. And his answer, in part, was about all the big bodies that are, you know, the mass of yeah. humanity there at, at the fulcrum of the scrum and, and the point of attack. And I get it. And look, a man's got to know his limitations. Kyler could do most anything and everything you can as a quarterback, except he's not 6'4, 250. And so that's just not in his wheelhouse, that's not in his skill set. And to me, you shouldn't take that personal if they're going to bring in someone with that sort of size to try and muscle it forward for six inches, if that's indeed part of the, part of the game plan. Because, I mean, plenty of teams do it with, with the bigger quarterbacks. And that's no crime. That's no indictment of anyone. And the fact that he might be off the field on that snap. Now, whether, whether the Cardinals are telegraphing it, And teams can load up against a struggler QB sneak. If it's all too apparent what's about to happen and transpire, you could probably make that argument as well.
1: That's what I was going to say. Like you do it and you're unsuccessful. Then people are going to be screaming bloody murder because you did that. And there's, there's been plenty of situations. I think maybe on Thanksgiving or a recent game where, a team handed it off to the fullback on fourth and one and they, they were stopped short. Like there's a million different ways to try to get short yardage and you're probably going to be successful 65 to 70% of the time. Like the percentages say, no matter how you line up. And I just think, you know, the high profile ones that you don't get, they're going to be questioned. And the ones you get are going to be forgotten pretty quickly. So I think, I just think it's a bad way to evaluate games and just to be so looking at the, the result more so than the process. I think we just in, in overall evaluation, we just focus way too much on what happened rather than the decision making and if that was sound. And if they're
2: being protective lately of Kyler and his shoulder, I get it. Now is Kyler and the shoulder a reason why they're not having some of these chunk throws down the field for at least the second straight game now, Darren, we watched his warm up. It looked like any other warm up I've ever seen, and I think we've seen every single warm up. While doing the pregame show, I was watching Kyler warm up, and he was zipping that ball all over the field. The conditions were great; there was no wind. Yet you finished the game, and the longest play from scrimmage was the 19-yarder, the first play from scrimmage to Andy Isabella on that glorified shovel jet sweep. And so, other than that, the week before, your longest pass play was the catch and run by Max Williams of 25 yards Thursday night at Seattle. Um, And, you know, uh, Kyle, you're going to enjoy this. There I was on Saturday uh, with a big L on my forehead, nothing to do, stuck in my hotel room, right? And I'm going through a bunch of stats and stuff, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm turning into Kyle because look (laughs) at this. Over the past six weeks, the Patriots were dead last in yards per target allowed. They were last in explosive pass play percentage allowed – They were 31st in deep pass attempt percentage allowed. These are stats I never even heard of. And somehow I stumbled onto them about the Patriots pass defense. And I'm thinking, oh man, if Kyler's healthy with that right arm, they are gonna light this secondary up. And Kyle, that didn't obviously did not happen.
1: That's my biggest concern going forward is you just played the Patriots and the Seahawks, both of whom have struggled badly against the pass. And like you said, you did not get anything going explosive wise with the pass. And now, you know, that you see what defenses are doing against the run where they're doing a lot of five man defensive fronts and putting guys on the edges because the Cardinals do run a lot of that outside zone stuff the zone read where obviously the running back is going a certain way and and Kyler's trying to pull it and go to the outside. So if teams are lining up five on the line of scrimmage, you're thinking that there should be holes downfield somewhere. I mean, there's only 11 players on the field. You can't cover everything. And if teams are able to stop the zone read and you're not getting explosive passes, that's a serious issue on offense. And it's only two games, so I'm not ready to say that These are permanent issues for the Cardinals, but it's certainly reared its head pretty consistently this season, and then the Cardinals have figured it out. So they need to get the explosive pass game going. They need those 15, 20, 25-yard chunks because you can't live on 13, 14, 15-play drives. There's just too much that can go wrong in a drive if you're not getting the explosive plays.
0: I I would also – I just – I feel like watching that game, I don't know – I don't know exactly if there's anything with the shoulder. I mean, he wasn't even, he didn't even have an injury designation. I feel like if there was anything there that would have made him questionable just to have people think about it and you take it away. And all I know is that one where he backpedaled and, and got it to Dan Arnold and that would only went down for a 17 yard gain, but that was like a 25 yard throw on his back foot. Sure. Didn't look hurt to me. Um, And his issues in terms of throwing the ball down the field I, you know I can't speak for whether guys were open but I can say there was I don't know if they were doing things to confuse him I just felt like there was a lot of times where I felt like he double pumped or half pumped before he threw the ball he didn't look super comfortable in the pocket it felt like he was feeling the rush a lot and so I wonder a little bit about that too and just where that has gone um in in his comfort in the pocket as we speak right now and it's you know it gets a lot harder I mean we we say this against the Patriots and the Seahawks two teams with middling pass rushes and now you're going to go against potentially the best defensive line in the league and certainly the best defensive lineman in the league and Aaron Donald and you know how is this exactly going to work I mean I kind of feel like this is one of those games where You know, you're going to have, to me, for them to win this game, you're going to have to have two or three magical Kyler moments where whether it's running the ball or spinning out and eventually throwing it, he's going to have to escape something that he shouldn't be able to escape and make a play because I just feel like that's kind of coming.
2: You know, for the second straight game, to your point, Darren, the opposing defense has had a lot of the same comments about their plan, their philosophy against Kyler, and that was we weren't going to let him run around. There a number of Patriots players said that after the game. We heard that out of the Seattle locker room, whether it was five down linemen, whether it was crashing the edges, they were not going to let him get loose and run around. And to your point, Kyle, and we talked about this after the game as well, you got to make a defense pay for that. If they're going to commit those sort of resources to the box and the edges and coming at and trying to get into the backfield – it's akin to the touchdown pass to Chase Edmonds on Thursday night in Seattle, where it was third and goal to three. And here comes a blitz. And Kyler was able to get the ball away to a wide open Chase Edmonds because all the attention was on Kyler and or DeAndre Hopkins at that point. I just feel like the challenge of the Cardinals offense right now, it's not unlike what happened three games in a year ago where that too high safety look gave them issues and they had to prove they can beat that whatever it is that the last two defensive game plans are thrown out there, the Cardinals now have to adjust accordingly.
1: And I, I just think we have to remember that Kyler Murray's basically in his third year of high level quarterbacking in college or the NFL. And I think if this was year five or year six, and he's seen a lot of these things consecutively game after game, after game, I think his, his process might be faster, but I'd assume New England did a lot of different stuff throughout the game and tried to trick him and did zone and man and and blitzed and dropped back. And, I mean, I could see some of it on television. I'm sure you guys saw more with the secondary – uh, in person, but it certainly seemed like they mixed it up a lot. And if you don't know what's coming pre-snap, even if you have an advantage somewhere, if you're not looking there, it's not going to help you. So I think if Kyler can deduce where he's got the single coverage and and know that his man is going to win that, that matchup, then it becomes a lot easier. But he's still maturing in that sense and and figuring out what defenses are trying to do against him. So I think you're right. I think the, the blueprint has been laid. Teams are going to try to keep him in the pocket and make him process it and make the throws. And we've seen his arm talent. I mean, he can make every throw there is out there and he can do everything he wants. But if he doesn't know exactly where the safety is going to be on a play, it's hard to successfully move the ball downfield in big chunks. And I think that's really the the next phase that the Cardinals have to master offensively in order to hit that next level.
2: Yeah, seeing the coverage, making the quick decision, getting rid of the football. You saw it on Monday night with Carson Wentz. There was a tight end running wide open down the seam and he throws into the flat and double coverage where are your eyes as a quarterback? Are your eyes finding the open man or are your eyes able to scan the field? You remember back in the day, guys, Kurt Warner used to beg a defense to blitz him because he knew exactly where he was going to go with the ball when it really gave him problems when they rushed three and dropped eight. And then they got into the passing lanes and it wasn't quite as obvious as clear. And so right now, yeah, to me, it's on the Cardinals and trying to get that, that chunk play, at least the threat of the big play back. And, and you know, Darren, honestly, after the Hale-Murray, because we've seen a lot of single coverage on, on DeAndre Hopkins the last couple of weeks. We really have. Even Trey Flowers, the backup cornerback, who had to go because the two starters with Seattle were out. And then, of course, we saw it with Stephon Gilmore, and that was a fist fight pretty much the whole game. But I'd love to see the whole axiom that, hey, when he's single-covered, he's open, throw it at him. And obviously the targets didn't say that that really materialized. He had five for 55 yards. And, and to me, it's no fluke that if you look at the three losses, it's five, five, and three catches for 55 yards or less for DeAndre Hopkins. And then the one game where he had seven for 127, albeit the 43-yard Hale Murray, that got him some big yardage as well. But the production for DeAndre Hopkins equated to a win. The other three games have been a loss.
0: Well, I will say that I don't know if this is the week where you're saying one and one definitely throw it to him because he's going to get Jalen Ramsey on him, and Jalen <laughs> Ramsey, in my opinion, is the best cornerback in the league right now, um, so I think you need to figure out some things on how to get him loose. I mean, I'm guessing Ramsey will travel with him, but we'll see what happens, and if he doesn't, I'm taking advantage of the times when Ramsey isn't on him. I do think you need to find a way to target him more often to get him a little bit more involved, and – you know, how much of that is again, them not having an off season together, how much of that is how much he doesn't practice, which we all know he doesn't practice a ton. You know, I don't, I don't know about that either. It didn't seem to bother them in the games when he was getting 10 catches and 150 yards, which has happened plenty of times this season. So uh, I, I think you do need to find a way to get it to him more. And again, I don't, I don't care if it's necessarily Hopkins or Christian Kirk or if you can find a way to get it to Andy Isabella or Dan Arnold or whatever fits if he comes back this week. Uh, you just, you've got to find a way to get 15 to 20-yard pass plays off that you're just not getting right now because uh, it just changes the whole dynamic of a, of a drive.
1: And I, I think there's an intricate balance, and this reminds me of the conversation in, in Miami with Tua Tongo Vailoa saying that when he was at Alabama, he was so used to guys being wide open that he comes to the NFL and he hesitates at tighter window throws because he's not used to that. And probably the same with Kyler Murray in college at Oklahoma, when his guys are always got two or three yards of separation, that's when he throws it. And he, he does a great job of finding open guys in the NFL, but maybe it does make more sense to throw it to DeAndre Hopkins when he looks covered. If, if he's 20 to 25 yards down the field or a Christian Kirk. And I think Russell Wilson is a guy who does that a lot is a guy has a very small window of separation and he'll try to force it in there. And maybe your incompletion numbers and your interceptions go up. But if in aggregate, it helps the team because you get more chunk throws then obviously it would be an improvement on what you're doing offensively. So I I think that's a a very delicate balance. But if if Kyler Murray does throw into tighter windows and they find more success, maybe that's somewhere the uh, passing game can improve.
2: And look, there are times, and this is just an observation, but there are times where the rest of the receivers aren't necessarily in sync. It was the Cardinals' second possession. You had a chunk run of 14 yards by Kenyon Drake. Then you had a a 16-yard grab. DeAndre Hopkins and then all of a sudden the Cardinals had to burn a timeout there was confusion the personnel the receivers and who was checking in and who was aligned correctly and finally Cliff Kingsbury called timeout and he turned around and for everyone who thinks he doesn't get fiery he barked at some of the offensive assistant coaches like your guys aren't ready your guys are mentally messing this up right now and sometimes it just seems okay They obviously can't go as quick as they want for various reasons. Sometimes it's themselves that some of the receivers don't appear. And I wonder to what degree is that a source of Kyler's frustration, that if he has such a mastery of this offense, and truly he knew it best and first because it was very close to what he did at Oklahoma by design, at times our guy's not in the right spot because Cliff Kingsbury had a very telling comment to me in his press conference on Monday where he said, well, you know, we have to get – to the precision passing game. He emphasized the word precision and he mentioned receivers depth and the timing and the ball being out on time. And it's all these factors that don't appear Darren right now to quite be there and be in sync that we've seen in stretches, but we haven't seen for an entire game and we haven't seen a whole lot of the last two games.
0: Well, and, and yeah, I think that's important. I mean, the thing we don't know about this past weekend is you're using you were trying to use more Andy Isabella you were using Keyshawn Johnson for the first time you didn't have Fitz in there you might have used I don't know for sure but you might have used Dan Arnold and Chase Edmonds in a couple of receiver plays that you wouldn't have normally done so I wonder a little bit if the trickle effect of the the wide receiver situation with COVID might have impacted some of the the knowledge of where people were supposed to be but look you're right. And we, and we can sit here and say there wasn't an offseason and we can sit here and say there weren't preseason games. But let's face it, we're 12, 13 weeks into this regular season now. You can't talk about not knowing where you're supposed to be. You can't talk about any of that stuff at this point. This should be clicking if it's going to click and that that ultimately is my concern I mean we're, we're to the point where this is where it's supposed to be rounding into exactly where it's supposed to be and it feels like they're coming off and I know they had a worse offensive game uh, in Carolina statistically but you take that game away these past two games have been the worst two offensive games and that's that's just stunning to me that that's where we are at this point
2: is that yet another instance as Wolf likes to say of playing down to your competition when you're going against an offense that had less than 200 total yards, I don't know. You're right, though, on the MEs. I mean, at this point in the season, the only real mental gash should be made by the officials, okay? That's the only mental gaps you really expect, which brings us to the Isaiah Simmons flag. Earlier, did you notice, Darren – of course you did. The, the Patriots color analyst, the radio booth is right next to us, and longtime oh, yeah. backup quarterback to Tom Brady, Scott Zolak, puts the color into color analyst. He's very boisterous, very loud voice he had some commentary when they were playing the pregame music. you see where you ripped the PA guy and he screamed out, your pregame music sucks, and he just – and because there's nobody in the lower bowl, there's no one in the stadium, his, his big voice, just – he's 6'5", just bellows through the whole stadium.
0: And and, and just to, to paint a picture for everybody, we're in a radio booth with the windows open, and then they're in the radio booth to our left facing the field with their windows open. So we're not going to miss anything he's saying. So please <laughs> so, proceed. So-
2: So, Kyle, when they called the illegal block against Zeke Turner that prevented the Patriots' punt return for a touchdown, he literally took off his headsets and leaned out and screamed, you blew it! You blew it! Right, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the rest are thinking they're not going to hear it from anyone in the stands. No, they're hearing it from the Patriots radio color analyst, which was hilarious. So then when the Isaiah Simmons flag was thrown and we saw the replay that he's in bounds, I was this close to ripping my headset off and leaning out the booth. And so, he was in bounds and screaming it out for everyone to hear in the whole stadium. But I figured decorum was the, was the better approach at that point. Uh, I think that's
0: probably a good idea.
2: But, but let, let's face it. I mean, Kyle, come on now. The real, reason the flag is thrown is because you hit the quarterback too hard. That's what it amounts to. That's really what it is. If you hit the quarterback too hard, they're going to flag you up.
1: Yeah. And a quarterback that's by all intents and purposes about to step out of bounds. So you can understand what the officials were thinking in the moment. Like, and then you watch the replay and he was in bounds. So by the letter of the law, it certainly wasn't a penalty, and, and I don't think it should have been flagged, but you understand the thought process of, of what they were doing in that situation, seeing as how Cam Newton was basically about to be out of bounds. And the bigger problem I have with that, with that play was for the Cardinals, you're sitting at third and 13 with 53 or 54 seconds left. I feel like you had to be ready for a run in that situation. Even though it's third and 13, it seemed like the Patriots hadn't been throwing all day. And, and without the Cardinals having timeouts, if they run it, they basically force overtime by doing that. And if you throw an incomplete pass, then the Cardinals have a chance to win. So the fact that the Cardinals were so aggressive going into the backfield, I feel like that was a big mistake on the front end of it. And then it was just compounded with the the penalty to get them in field goal range. So obviously a a critical play in the game. And if, if the Cardinals played that a little bit softer and, and just let Cam Newton run for five yards, then you're probably going to overtime and, and nothing, nothing even happens with a penalty. So I think just obviously a crucial play in that game. I'm with you on that.
2: Bringing the house, I think, was the one big mistake schematically by the defense. But at the very least, if you're going to do that, you put a spy on Cam on third and 13, do you not? Now, was Isaiah Simmons the spy and he was late getting over? Somehow got sucked into the undertow of of the box. I have no idea. But yeah, that, that was confounding. There's no doubt about it. And we all know how that ended. The question is, where do you think this leaves them now in terms of the playoff race? I mean, Darren, we know they've had their struggles against Sean McVay. 0 six. You know you have uh, you know, s- some tough game. You have a Niners team coming in that's now rolling. Well, coming in and coming in for a month, making themselves at home. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, look, you have two games that you're marking down as a win now against the Eagles and Giants, but the Giants game is on the road, albeit it might be against Daniel Jones' backup at this stage. But I don't know. What do you think? How do you feel about the playoff chances right now?
0: Well, I mean, they're in it right now. And that's better than not being in it. But, I mean, they're being chased. And, and ultimately, you know, Devondre Campbell said it this week. It's all, all – what we want to do is out in front of us. And I think as a player, all you can really ask for is to be able to control your own destiny. And at this point, they absolutely still control their own destiny. And they don't necessarily have to win out. Um I think if you have fewer than 10 wins, you're going to make things real interesting. And obviously to get to 10 wins, you got to win four of your five games. And like you said, two are against the Rams, one against the Niners, and you don't know what happens in those those other games. I mean, it would be an abject disaster at this point if anybody lost to the Eagles who would just look awful. Um, but the Giants are playing a little bit better football and, and you would have to go on the road for that. So, you know, I, I just feel like if this team plays like it's capable, they're going to be in the playoffs. Now, is this team going to play like it's capable? Uh, I don't think how the offense has played the last two weeks in particular, that's not, that's below what this team is capable of doing. Can they find it again? Can they find some of that offensive rhythm? Um, and can they do it against, again, starting this week against a very good defense? I, I don't know. I don't know if they can all of a sudden find it. And that's a concern you would, again, This is the time when you're supposed to be rounding into shape in terms of everything clicking. And I think there's doubts there. And I, I'm sure the players were like, well, you know, if I said that to their face, they'd be like, well, we'll show you. And that's cool. And I hope uh, all their confidence is in the right place, but until you do it on the field, who knows?
2: I mean, Kyle in college, were you that, were you that college student who, I'm good, you know, by the time the midterm gets here, I'll be caught up and I'll ace the midterm and my grade might not look so good now, but by the time, time I get to the end of the semester or the term between the midterm and the final and yeah, I'll be good, I'll pull out that, that A or B. You know, there's plenty of college students like that. Sometimes this Cardinals team, for a large part, is immature and they strike me as that college kid who's just sort of biding his time until the big moments I'll ace that test and I'll be good by the end of the semester mom and dad'll like my report card
1: you definitely followed my college career closely because that was me to a T <laughs> unfortunately the A or the B started turning into Cs toward the end of college but I did get I did get through it
0: C's um, get degrees Kyle yeah. C's get degrees
1: I I mean I don't I don't, I don't think so necessarily in the Cardinals' perspective, I don't, I don't think they're sitting there like slow playing this and feeling like they can turn it on at any time. I I think you look at the New England game and like we talked about, if you get six more inches on that touchdown, you win. If if Zane makes a field goal, if you don't give up these huge special teams plays, I mean overall the Cardinals dominated statistically. So I think they're in a good spot. I think they're a good team. I think if you're looking at all these wild card contenders. You'd much rather be in the Cardinals position than anybody else. You have a game lead, and I think objectively they have been a better team than the Vikings, the Bears, or the Niners. So I I think they're in a good spot, but you have five games left. And if you lose one or two in a weird way, like you did in New England, then maybe you don't make it. So we'll see what happens. But I don't, I mean, I don't think they're. They're feeling extra confident, like they can put their foot on the gas and just blow teams away at any point. I, I think there's a lot of parity in the NFL, and and they've lost some heartbreakers recently that came down to the wire, and you lose too many close games, and you're not going to make the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. But overall, I, I do think they're in pretty good shape.
2: Now all of a sudden the Niners are in your rearview mirror, a game behind you in the division, and they're in your backyard, Literally for the next three weeks or so with the Niners in the AZ. So the way this is going to work, Darren, is they're going to play on Monday night after the Cardinals play Sunday against the Rams. And then with the Cardinals on the road against the Giants, they're going to have a game against Washington, both at State Farm Stadium. And then late in the season, it's Cardinals, Niners in the AZ. So the Niners will be in Arizona there. By that time, maybe Santa Clara County will allow them to be back in their home premises. But – uh, they're also going to stay, reside and practice in Arizona, right?
0: My understanding is they're literally, I know, for all I know, they're going to stay at that um, renaissance right where the Cardinals stay during training camp, and I think they're just going to practice right there next to the stadium. And, um, and I do think even though the Santa Clara uh, County – restrictions technically only go through December 21st right now. I think there is a very, very good chance that they end up just staying out here for the balance of the season and play their final home game. Uh, when the Cardinals have to play out the Rams the last weekend, they have a home game. I'm, I think against the Seahawks. So um, they're going to be out here and and you wonder a little bit if the Cardinals lose a little bit of whatever for their home game against the Niners, knowing that the Niners are going to play in the building Uh two of the games before that, before that game even happens. And they're going to have a comfort level there. And with no fans, I don't know how much it really makes a difference anyways, but um, yeah, they're here. Uh, You know, Michael Bidwell wanted to be a a good soldier for the NFL and provide something for, to again, get the the league through the season and make sure that nothing gets jacked up. And uh, you know, the 49ers have been through a hell of a year uh, between their injuries and uh, now this and, and what they've gone through and the wildfires and you you know the, the fact that they're only a game behind the Cardinals and still breathing for this playoff spot is just unbelievable to me.
2: You know, ESPN was showing some video of Levi's Stadium. They were talking about the story. It was from the first week of the season with all the smoke. And I forgot about that. I forgot. We were there, and, and, and you couldn't see beyond the, the upper deck of the stadium from across the press box. It's right next to San Jose International Airport. You could hear the Jets nearby. You could not see them. So think of everything the Niners have been through. And honestly, Kyle, for them to go down and beat the Rams when they were getting on the team plane to go to L.A. and the news broke via Twitter, what was going on with Santa Clara County and Kyle Shanahan recounted how everyone's coming up to him and he's getting text messages from wives and girlfriends and the players themselves, and everyone wants to know, and he's finding out on social media himself for the first time. And for that Niners team to have that sort of focus and go down there and beat the Rams with a backup quarterback and all the other injuries, I don't know if you can win Coach of the Year when you don't make the playoffs, but Kyle Shanahan right now, he's got to be a serious consideration if they finish strong.
0: Yeah,
1: it's been really impressive resilience. And I think we've seen with, with Kyle Shanahan, unfortunately for him, he's seems like shorthanded every single year with these injuries, especially at quarterback. But we've seen how good of a coach he is. And that's why you worry about them hanging around. I mean, the Cardinals have the tiebreaker right now because they won head to head. So they are sensibly two games ahead of San Francisco. And you figure with all the injuries that the 49ers aren't going to be hanging around, but. If they're able to stay in it, then there's talk of Jimmy G and George Kittle coming back for the last couple weeks, which includes the game against the Cardinals. So we'll see. I mean, this might have been one nice game against the Rams where we're talking about the Niners for one more week. But, you know, if they lose one or two more, then that might be it for them. Um, But, yeah, they're definitely a resilient team that has been dealing with a lot. And kudos to Kyle Shanahan for keeping that group on track.
2: Well, the good news here on Cardinals Underground, uh, presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, if you're the Niners, uh, you're going to find the real estate much more affordable than Silicon Valley. So (laughs) if you want to buy a winter home and just stay through the winter and avoid the rainy December, January and February in the NorCal, then boom, uh, you're all set. That shouldn't set you back nearly what it does in Santa Clara County. Which is I love
0: the fact that I've seen on Twitter, there's a bunch of fans that have asked, I'm not sure why they care or or not, but there's a bunch of fans asking if the players are going to get taxed at the Arizona rate or the California rate (laughs) one of these (laughs) weeks, which big difference, big difference. it is a
2: big difference. No doubt about that. Uh, I'll get my dad on to comment on that. Um, Anyway, speaking of of getting guys back, let's leave it at this. Reinforcements on the D-line, Darren, Uh, how realistic is it they get some of those big bodies back?
0: Well, Rashard Lawrence has been activated to the active roster, which is a big deal. And I think there's some real hope that lucky Fotu will be coming back sooner rather than later too. So, you know, if you can get those guys, they got Zach Allen back last week. Uh, I haven't heard anything yet about Jordan Phillips. I, I, I don't remember exactly when the three weeks is up for him before he's easy isn't even eligible to practice again. But um, you know, Josh moral went on the injury list last week. You're not getting Corey Peters back, obviously, you know, again, I think you just continue to tread water the best you can. If you can get the two rookies back in there as part of the rotation, I, I think that does help. Though,
2: I think it was a Seattle game. It kind of bleeds together. But I looked down, and at that one end of the bench where Brenton Buckner holds camp, the D line coach, and he had like three bodies. There were like three guys. It was like, uh, where, where, where's the whole D line group? And, you know, it was like the fewest numbers of guys I've ever seen with Brenton Buckner and. You're almost waiting for the coach to go ahead. You know, he's known for showing his own game film at times (laughs) and motivating. You're almost waiting for him to bust out from one of those bins behind the bench, his old old uniform at that point. He's the one
1: that saw the Broncos not being able to elevate their assistant coach to quarterback. You know, he was disappointed, wondering if if COVID hit, if he could strap it back up.
0: I did a a podcast with Frosty Rucker this week. I should have asked him if he was available, if he wanted to pop back over and play for the Cardinals. Where's he living now? Is he back near USC? Is he in yeah? Southern he's California? in he's in Southern California. He's doing a podcast actually with uh, a friend of his, and they're covering essentially the NFL and the Rams. So he had me on to talk about Cardinals, Rams. Although he insisted the Cardinals were still his team, and and he still follows them very closely. And Frosty, you know, was always a great guy. Uh, I don't think he'd be ready to step on the field or anything. But let's face it, uh, these are trying times in a lot of ways. So. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask him that. I should have.
1: Well, the funny thing is that the defense has been so good. Like we talk about these injuries to the line. And like you mentioned earlier, the performance they did against the pass in new England and the running game for the Patriots didn't do much either. So I've been super impressed by what they've done defensively. And the fact that we're talking about the passing game. And I know you, you talked about it earlier, Paul, like this is what we thought the Cardinals were going to be was this, 75% of the time, chucking the ball around, scoring a bunch of points, playing in in shootouts and maybe winning or losing 35 to 34. And instead it's the defense that's really keeping this team in games. And we'll see where it goes from here. But I I think Vance Joseph has done a, a really incredible job. And the secondary, especially these last few weeks has been super solid. And I think, you know, that bodes well for the future if the offense can get it going. Are you a believer,
2: Kyle, in the metric passer rating against a defense there are a lot of analysts who like that they, they think that's telling of a defense what sort of passer rating they hold the opposing quarterback to because once again cam newton had less than a 24 passer rating and the cardinals did not win the game that's what's most vexing to me
1: yeah and i don't i don't love passer rating in and of itself but it, it that basically says what happened in the game so i think it was definitely factual in this situation and i mean you're right anyway you look at cam newton's passing numbers They were awful. I mean, he was rated the worst quarterback in total QBR all week. And the fact that you lose a game when you hold a quarterback to 84 yards passing and pick him off twice. I mean, it's just incredible that the Cardinals didn't find a way to win that game. And I think special teams was a huge culprit. And I think when you look forward, that's probably a good thing because – you'd rather have your defense playing well than getting a fluky game from special teams. And if they can get that stuff ironed out, if Zane Gonzalez can can make those high pressure kicks, which I think is a legitimate question if he's if he's in his head or not at this point after missing a few of them. But clearly when games are that close, you need your kicker to come through and, and everybody obviously is gonna be watching that closely. Well, Darren, in closing, uh, feel free to text Frosty Rucker and tell him that I know
2: he's got a big-time podcast now, and, and your evidence of that, but he doesn't have his old teammate Carson Palmer. He, you, he thinks he's his guy from the USC days. No, not this week. I've got Carson Palmer this week on the podcast. So feel free to let Frosty know that. I big-timed him, Paulie Pencilneck. It's
0: 2015 all over again, baby.
2: <laughs> and that'll do it for Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.